Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today is day 88 in our exploration of this catechism. And today we are going to finish up the sacrament of extreme unction. We noted that the treatment of the sacrament of extreme unction in this catechism is rather brief in comparison to the treatment of some of the other sacraments. And uh, we were able to um, talk about the, the first half of the sacrament, the institution, the matter and the form, some of the various names of the sacrament in day 87. Today we will finish up um, the treatment talking about the subject of extreme unction, the minister, and the effects. So let us begin reading under that subheading in the Catechism, uh, the subject of extreme unction. And so we begin, but although instituted for the use of all, extreme unction is not to be administered indiscriminately to all. In the first place, it is not to be administered to persons in sound health, according to these words of St. James. Is anyone sick amongst you? And we know that the primary text in the scriptures uh, for the sacrament of extreme unction is in fact that um, James chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, that appears to be the, the primary text in support of this sacrament. Uh, but St. Thomas notes that not everything that Jesus Christ did is necessarily recorded in the Gospels, and much of it is handed down to us through the apostles. So that's an important principle as well. So we continue. This is also proved by the fact that extreme unction was instituted as a remedy, not only for the diseases of the soul, but also for those of the body. Now only the sick need a remedy, and therefore this sacrament is to be administered to those only whose malady is such as to excite apprehensions of approaching death. It is, however, a very grievous sin to defer the holy unction until all hope of recovery being lost. Life begins to ebb, and the sick person is fast verging into a state of insensibility. It is obvious that if the sacrament is administered while consciousness and reason are yet unimpaired, and the mind is capable of eliciting acts of faith, and of directing the will to sentiments of piety, a more abundant participation of its graces must be received. Though this heavenly medicine is in itself always salutary, pastors should be careful to apply it when its efficacy can be aided by the piety and devotion of the sick person. Extreme unction, then, can be administered to no one who is not dangerously sick, not even to those who are in danger of death, as when they undertake a perilous voyage, or enter into battle with the sure prospect of death, or have been condemned to death and are on the way to execution. And these are interesting passages here. We know that in our day, uh, the sacrament of extreme unction is... Um, Given a little more liberally, uh, this um, catechism uh, really seems to be emphasizing that um, the, the person to whom it is administered should be sick, according to the words of St. Uh, James, if there be any sick amongst you. Um, so this is interesting that it shouldn't be given to those who are on their way to execution or certain death and war, but only to the sick who are uh, dangerously sick. So we continue. Furthermore, all those who have not the use of reason are not fit subjects for the sacrament. 
And likewise, children who, having committed no sins, do not need the sacrament as a remedy against the remains of sin. The same is true of idiots and insane persons, unless they give indications in their lucid intervals of a disposition to piety and express a desire to be anointed. To persons who, from their birth, never enjoy the use of reason, this sacrament is not to be administered. But if a sick person, while in the possession of his faculties, expresses a wish to receive extreme unction and afterwards becomes delirious, he is to be anointed. So again, I think um, the uh, requirements for extreme unction perhaps have been loosened um, a bit since this was written. Nonetheless, the the reasoning appears to be um, very sound, of course, uh, that the sacrament is um, meant to be given to people in the in the right use of their mind, and also um, since it talks about this effect that it gets rid of the remnants of sin, um, it doesn't make too much sense to give it to um, um, infants, um, say, who have not uh, any sin. Uh, nonetheless, we will see that it's also um, directed to the health of the body as well, although primarily directed to the uh, to the remission of sin and the guilt and the um, remnants of sin. Uh, let's continue here. The administration of extreme unction. The sacred unction is to be applied not to the entire body, but to the organs of sense only, to the eyes on account of sight, to the ears on account of hearing, to the nostrils on account of smell, to the mouth on account of taste and speech, to the hands on account of touch. The sense of touch, it is true, is diffused throughout the entire body, yet, is, yet it is more developed in the hands. This manner of administering extreme unction is observed throughout the universal church and is in keeping with the medicinal nature of the sacrament. As in corporal disease, although the malady affects the entire body, yet the cure is applied to that part only which is the seat and origin of the disease. So likewise, this sacrament is applied not to the entire body, but to those members in which the power of sensation is most conspicuous and also to the loins, which are, as it were, the seat of concupiscence, and to the feet by which we move from one place to another. Here it is to be observed that during the same illness, and while the danger of dying continues, the same, the sick person is to be anointed, anointed but once. Should he, however, recover after he has been anointed, he may receive the aid of the sacrament as often as he shall have relapsed into the same danger of death. This sacrament, therefore, is evidently to be numbered among those which may be repeated. The dispositions for the reception of extreme unction. As all care should be taken that nothing impede the grace of the sacrament, and as nothing is more opposed to it than the consciousness of mortal guilt, the constant practice of the Catholic Church must be observed of administering the sacrament of penance and the Eucharist before extreme unction. And next, let parish priests strive to persuade the sick person to receive this sacrament from the priest with the same faith with which those of old who were to be healed by the apostles used to present themselves. But the salvation of his soul is to be the first object of the sick man's wishes, and after that the health of the body. 
with this qualification, if it be for the good of his soul. Nor should the faithful doubt that those holy and solemn prayers, which are used by the priest not in his own person, but in that of the Church and of our Lord Jesus Christ, are heard by God, and they are more they are most particularly to be exhorted on this one point, to take care that the sacrament of this most salutary oil be administered to them holily and religiously, when the sharper conflict seems at hand, and the energies of the mind as well as of the body appear to be failing. The Minister of Extreme Unction Who the Minister of Extreme Unction is, we learn from the same Apostle that promulgated the law of the Lord. For he says, Let him bring in the priests, the presbyters. By which name, as the Council of Trent has well explained, he does not mean persons advanced in years or of chief authority among the people, but priests who have been duly ordained by bishops with the imposition of hands. To the priest, therefore, has been committed the administration of this sacrament, not, however, to every priest, as Holy Church has decreed, but to the proper pastor who has jurisdiction or to another authorized by him to discharge this office. In this, however, as also in the administration of the other sacraments, it is to be most distinctly remembered that the priest is the representative of Christ our Lord and of his spouse, Holy Church. Now we move on to the effects of extreme unction. The advantages we receive from the sacrament are also to be accurately explained, so that if nothing else can allure the faithful to its reception, they may be induced at least by its utility. For we are naturally disposed to measure almost all things by our interests. Pastors, therefore, should teach that by this sacrament is imparted grace that remits sins, and especially lighter, or as they are commonly called, venial sins. For mortal sins are removed by the sacrament of penance. Extreme unction was not instituted primarily for the remission of grave offenses. Only baptism and penance accomplish this directly. Another advantage of the sacred unction is that it liberates the soul from the languor and infirmity which it contracted from sins and from all the other remains of sin. The time most opportune for this cure is when we are afflicted with severe illness and danger to life impends, for it has been implanted in man by nature to dread no human visitation so much as death. This dread is greatly augmented by the recollection of our past sins, especially if our conscience accuses us of grave offenses. For it is written, They shall come with fear at the thought of their sins, and their iniquities shall stand against them to convict them. That's in the Book of Wisdom, chapter 4, verse 20. Another source of vehement anguish is the anxious thought that we must soon afterwards stand before the judgment seat of God, who will pass on us a sentence of strictest justice according to our deserts. It often happens that, struck with this terror, the faithful feel themselves deeply agitated, and nothing conduces more to a tranquil death than to banish sadness, await with a joyous mind the coming of our Lord, and be ready willingly to surrender the deposit entrusted whenever it shall be his will to demand it back. 
to free the minds of the faithful from this solicitude and fill the soul with pious and holy joy, is then an effect of the sacrament of extreme unction. From it, moreover, we derive another advantage which may justly be deemed the greatest of all, for although the enemy of the human race never ceases while we live to meditate our ruin and destruction, yet at no time does he more violently use every effort utterly to destroy us, and if possible deprive us of all hope of the divine mercy, than when he sees the last day of life approach. Therefore arms and strength are supplied to the faithful in this sacrament, to enable them to break the violence and impetuosity of the adversary, and to fight bravely against him, for the soul of the sick is relieved and encouraged by the hope of the divine goodness, strengthened by which it bears more lightly all the burdens of sickness, and eludes with greater ease the artifice and cunning of the devil who lies in wait for it. Finally, the recovery of health, if indeed advantageous, is another effect of the sacrament. And if in our days the sick obtain this effect less frequently, this is to be attributed not to any defect of the sacrament, but rather to the weaker faith of a great part of those who are anointed with the sacred oil, or by whom it is administered. For the evangelist bears witness that the Lord wrought not many miracles among his own because of their unbelief. That's Matthew chapter 13. It may also be truly said that the Christian religion, since it has struck its roots more deeply in the minds of men, stands now less in need of the aids of such miracles than it did formerly at the commencement of the rising church. Nevertheless, faith should be strongly excited in this respect, and whatever it may please God in his wisdom to do with regards to the health of the body, the faithful ought to rely on a sure hope of attaining by virtue of the sacred oil, health of the soul, and of experiencing, should the hour of their departure from life be at hand, the fruit of that glorious assurance, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, as it is said in the book of the, the Apocalypse, chapter 14. Finally, the Catechism ends with an admonition. We have thus explained briefly the sacrament of extreme unction, but if these points are developed by the pastor at greater length, and with the care the subject demands, it is not to be doubted that the faithful will derive very great fruit of piety from his instruction. And so there we conclude. We, of course, note that this catechism was written primarily for pastors, um, sort of as a very practical catechism, uh, instructing them what they should teach the faithful. So it always maintains that language that it's, directed, um, it's written directly to the pastors. I find one of the most interesting things about this sacrament, of course, is the effects. How is this sacrament different than the sacrament of penance? Because both penance and baptism and extreme unction really are ordered directly to the riddance of sin. But the catechism following St. Thomas, of course, as well, um, explains that one doesn't have two sacraments ordered to the exact same thing. And penance is ordered to the um, remission of grave sin, mortal sin. So we don't say that extreme unction is primarily directed at that. And as a matter of fact, it makes the point that extreme unction should not be administered to those um, in place of penance. So the, the church uh, regularly will hear the confession 
administer the sacrament of penance and the Eucharist ordinarily before administering the sacrament of extreme unction. And so, so the Catechism says that the primary effect of this sacrament is the removal of the remains of sin. Uh, really, venial sin and the remains of sin, which is kind of a, um, a little bit of a um, mysterious, not mysterious, but a, not vague, but a little bit of a difficult um, idea. It, I like the words here. It says that the um, sacred unction is, it liberates the soul from the languor and infirmity which it contracted from sins. And it calls these the remains of sin. The soul has sort of a languor, a stupor. The mind is less clear. There are these effects of sin that even though the sin has been removed, say, by the sacrament of penance, there's still this, these effects, the remains of sin, that the sacrament of extreme unction is ordered against. And um, so, the, so we say that it's ordered to the removal of venial sins, and the languor and remains of sin. Um, and then it talks about how the sacrament is so good for those who are at the point of death because of the, the terror that is apt to strike the soul in those last hours uh, when the soul is accused by its own conscious conscience of these past sins. At no time do we need to have the strengthening of the sacrament than in grave sickness. Um, talking about how the devil tries to snatch the soul even at those last uh, minutes. So this sacrament is ordered to giving the soul the strength it needs to have a happy death and to await the Lord joyously. Um, so, and then finally it talks about this idea that another effect of the sin is that it actually will, it will um, heal the sickness provided that the faith of the one receiving and the faith of the minister be strong. However, it points out that if someone is not actually healed from their sickness, um, we shouldn't blame the sacrament for that, but rather that God answers our prayers according as they are advantageous to the good of our souls. And also that in former times, if the sacrament did heal people of their sins, that was to strengthen the faith of those at the time, whereas now perhaps, perhaps the faith is more established and so we, we are less in need of the um, miraculous healings that have been attributed to the sacrament. So um, we also remember that the sacraments provide us with what we need at every stage in our spiritual life. And so we mentioned this before that when St. Thomas talks about why there are seven sacraments, um, just as there's a sacrament when we are born, baptism, um, there's a there's a sacrament that helps us to depart this life well. So it just it just seems so fitting um, and wonderful that the uh, Christ instituted sacraments for every stage in the spiritual life, and this one especially for those um, who are at the point of death. Thank you very much for joining me in this episode of Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and we look forward to starting the Sacrament of Holy Orders in our next day.